Well, thank you, Steve, and uh, great, to, great to be here with everybody. Happy Sabbath. I hope everybody's having a great Sabbath wherever you are, whether it's uh, at the end or in the middle or at the beginning of the day portion of it. So just very happy to be here. And, and yes, the topic, uh, it, this message's entitled is A Perfect Heart. We're going to study some scriptures, but what the Bible says about a perfect heart. In, it all started with, this is a little bit of background, was reading, was, was studying one day, and, and there was one proverb in particular that, that caught my attention. Let's, let's go there. Let's go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 to begin. Because this proverb, when I read it, it, it just, it, it struck me in, in, a, in an odd way. Uh, I was trying to understand, really, a, a couple of things about this proverb. It's in Proverbs 28. We're going to read uh, verse, verse 10. Because it, it, it says some things in here that uh, uncover some other things uh, once we get into the meaning of some words. And I, I want to, full disclosure, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention some of the meanings of, of Hebrew words. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I, I am not. I have never really studied Hebrew in depth. This is just really from... Uh, study the words from a, from the Strong's Concordance, which is linked to the Faithful Version. It's a very limited view, uh, but it does it does bring some things to light when when we study these uh, these verses that we're going to study. Some some questions about about how how can some of these things be? In in Proverbs 28 verse 10 to begin, this is this is one of the verses, and then there's another verse later on that we're going to see a little bit later on. And, and, and we're going to hopefully see once we get into the, the meaning of some, a couple of small words in, in Hebrew, maybe see a bigger picture of what, uh, what it is to, uh, to have a perfect heart or what could, could it possibly mean? I, this message is not going to cover the subject of a perfect heart in its entirety. This, this uh, is a very vast subject, but at least we, we can see some things. We can glean some things for studying together these words. But in verse 10 of Proverbs 28, it says, whoever causes the righteous man to go astray in an evil way, he himself shall fall into his own pit, but the upright shall inherit good. And, and, the, and the question that came up here when, when reading this, this, this is a, a very, to me, was a very intriguing proverb. Because it says, whoever causes the righteous man to go astray in an evil way. So the very first uh, thing that, that, that jumped, jumped out here was that the righteous man can go astray in an evil way. And that it can be caused by someone else. Now, then the focus shifts to that person that causes the righteous man to go astray in an evil way. It focused to that person. Because he talks about that person that, that, that makes the righteous to go astray in an evil way. He says, he himself shall fall into his own pit. So he's talking about the law of God that many people in other religions or, or no religion, they call karma or they call other things. But we know it's the laws of God. That when, when somebody is causing the righteous man to go astray in an evil way, that that person is going to fall into his own pit because he's acting uh, badly, he's act, he's causing a righteous man. Instead of following the righteous man, instead of joining the righteous man, he's he's basically causing him to go astray. Now, whether through ignorance or whether willingly, we don't know. He doesn't even say that, but it says if, if somebody's causing the righteous man to go astray in an evil way, he says that that person will fall into his own pit. So that is that is very interesting. And then and then at the end he says, but the upright shall inherit good and and he just got me questioning so what is then the difference between and i understand the comparison we understand the comparison he's talking about first he himself shall fall into his own pit he's talking about the one that's causing the the righteous man to go astray so comparing that man that is that is causing someone else to go astray to the upright the upright shall inherit good while the one that causes the righteous men to go astray in an evil way, then that, that person shall fall into his own pit. So we have inherited good or, you know, fall into his own pit. 
But what he doesn't, he doesn't really say about this person that is causing the righteous man to go astray in an evil way. It doesn't even say that that person is necessarily evil himself. It could be, like I said, because if it's intentional, it's definitely evil. It's causing, it's causing this person to go astray, the righteous to go, uh, to go astray in an evil way. But if it's through ignorance, it may not be that he's evil. It's just ignorance. It's just blind, blinded. But it doesn't it doesn't categorize this this second person. So there's three people, right? So the first one is the righteous man, the one who causes him to go astray, and then the upright. There's three different three different people here. And and the the, the question that came up was: so how can the righteous man go astray in an evil way? If if that person is righteous, and how is it that the upright shall inherit good? Is there a difference between the righteous and the upright. And that's where I started investigating a little bit more about what these words mean. What does the word righteous mean? And what does the word upright mean? Because they're two different words in the Hebrew. The first word, the, the word for righteous is the word yashar. And maybe I, I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing it, but it's the word yashar. And in the second word, the word upright is the word tamim. Tamim is pronounced in, in, in the, so Yashar, the definition of Yashar, and, and this again is Strong's, and we all understand the Strong's is extremely limited. We shouldn't use it to establish doctrine. And I'm not trying here to establish doctrine, just to try to get more, if there's a little bit more understanding about, is there a difference between the just and the upright? And then, and then we'll go into talking about what is a perfect heart, because the Bible talks about that. But it's in the context of these verse, that this study came about, just wanted to share these with you because this word righteous, Jashar, it means straight, upright, correct, right, straight, level, right, pleasing, correct. But there's many meanings. You can look them up. If you have the faithful version, you can double click on it and you see you see the, the, the word there for, for righteous, which is Jashar in all of these definitions. But it implies something someone that is straightforward, that is correct. That is right. And it's interesting because in, in Strong's, the definition of uh, the, the, one of the definition of Yashar is upright. <laughs> so in a sense, somebody can argue it's like it's it's the same thing. You know, it's just using a different word and we'll leave it at that. But the but then there's another word Tamim for the word upright later on. So the first one is Yashar and the second one is Tamim. And Tamim is different. The definition of Tamim is different than the definition of Yashar. Yashar, it really implies straight, correct, right? We know that it says righteous, and it implies that this person is doing righteousness. He's doing righteousness. It's, it's, it's a person who is called righteous. But the second one that says upright, which is the word tamim, the definition, it's different. It means complete, whole, entire, sound, heartful wholesome, unimpaired, innocent, having integrity. And this is very interesting. It, it, one of the definitions, according to Strong's, is what is complete or entirely in accord with truth and fact. It, it's, it's, it, it, it's a little different because, like I said, even though Yashar, one of the definitions in Strong's is upright, the word upright has another meaning here. The word tamim in the Hebrew, it means complete. It means entire. It means with, integ with integrity, which the word integrity comes from the word integer, which means whole. Like when we have a whole number, an integer number. So that is, is really interesting. It, it just, it, it, how is it that the righteous man can go astray in an evil way? Because it says he can, and he could be caused by another person. And he says, but the upright shall inherit good. So is there a difference between these two? Is there a difference between Yashar and Tamim? And just looking on the surface of these definitions, again, just the definition of Strong's, it gives the impression as though the righteous is, is talking about straight, correct, right. But upright has a different meaning, which has to do with complete, with wholesome, with entire, with... It, it, it's just it's just a different meaning, and and it is very very interesting to study that because we're going to read some other verses and we're going to ask some other questions. But what is is there a difference? And it's just a question. 
and everybody can study on, on their own. Is there a difference between the righteous and the upright in this case? At least this is the way that we're, or is there a difference between Yashar and Tamim? On the surface, it looks like there is. The one has to do more with the things that one does and the things that one believes, and therefore the things that one becomes, which is righteous. But the other one has to do with really a, a completeness of that person, the upright, that completeness, the integrity, the the that there is nothing else apart from from what this person really truly is, the upright. And let's go here in, in Proverbs twenty. There's another another proverb that that it gives us a little bit more light into this and, and verse 18 right here in the same same chapter of proverbs 28 in verse 18 it says whoever walks uprightly shall be saved but he who is perverse in his ways shall fall at once and it's interesting because again it's this contrast with the same person the same contrast that we had in verse 10 of the one that that causes the righteous man to go astray. So that evil person or that person that might not be evil, but the one that is causing that person to go astray, that's going to fall into his own pit. That person, that person is contrasting with the upright. And here in verse 18, it says, whoever walks uprightly and uprightly again, Tamim, same word again. It says, whoever walks uprightly shall be saved, but he who is perversing his ways shall fall at once. So he's making that contrast between the one that is upright, complete, whole, entire, sound, unimpaired, innocent, having integrity, to someone, it says, he who is perverse in his ways, who shall fall at once. And it sounds a lot like he shall fall into his own pit. Because the perversity is a different thing. It's, it's interesting because in verse 10, it's kind of like an action, right? Somebody that's causing someone to go astray. Now, it says that he will fall into his own pit. Now, whether they will come out of that pit or not, that's a different thing. But in here, it's kind of giving more clarity to that. It says, whoever walks uprightly, and he talks about salvation, shall be saved. And, he's, you know, it can mean different things, right? You can view it from a lot of different perspectives because we know the word of God is like, is like a sphere, right? That you can see it from all the kind of different angles. But when you, when you see this, and it says, Whoever walks uprightly shall be saved. It's talking about complete, integral, wholesome, having integrity in complete, uh, you know, accord with truth and fact. That's what it means. Shall be saved. And, and saved, like I said, it can be taken. It can be ultimate salvation, eternal life. The upright, the one who walks uprightly shall be saved. Obviously, there's conditions for that. It's, it's, it's the one that endures to the end. The one that continues to walk uprightly until the end but it says shall be saved but the, the contrast is the one who is perverse in his ways because perversity is something that now that person you can't tell that person is not complete is not exactly what they who, who what they are it's not it's not you know it's not whole it's not complete it's not sound it's not in in agreement with truth and fact because it's perversity is something twisted it's something that is misleading and sometimes this this person that is you know perversing his ways it says shall fall at once again shall fall at once that doesn't mean that they cannot recover if they repent same as the one that falls into his own pit they can both repent they can come back god can bring them back if if we're going to see that, that this tamim encompasses something that god really really desires this completeness sound wholesome obviously not separated not apart from righteousness we we understand that but i wanted i want for us to to study this stuff a little bit more and the, and the difference between these two words and then there's another yet another word that we're going to introduce another hebrew word besides jashar and tamim and we know that these are closely interrelated but they're not exactly the same and we're going to now go to first chronicles First Chronicles, because David was a man uh, after God's own heart, and he instructed his son Solomon in, in, in a very particular way. And that's what we're going to read in First Chronicles 28. First Chronicles 28 and verse 8. This is what, this is what uh, David was telling Solomon when he was passing on the kingdom to his son. 
because God had said that Solomon was the one to reign and he was going to build a house for him. And these are the instructions of David, a man after God's own heart, to his son Solomon. And we're going to read something here very, very interesting in his charge to him. We're not going to read the whole account, but we're going to start in verse 8. And this is what David told Solomon. He says, and now in the sight of all Israel, you can picture that, right? That you have, you have the, the people and he's, you know, he's basically telling, telling him what to do. He says, and now in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. That's what he's instructing him to seek for the commandments of the Lord. He's God. Why? Because he knew he knew that that's righteousness. All your commandments. Right. That's that's what it's in Psalm 119. All of your commandments are righteousness. So that's that's really uh, that's Yashar. We know Yashar has it is righteousness and all his commandments are righteousness. And that's the first thing that he tells him. But then he he continues on. And in verse nine, he says, and you, Solomon, my son. Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart. And we'll, we'll stop there for a second. It says, and serve him with a perfect heart. And because we're going to stop because this, this word perfect, what is this word, word perfect is? This word in here in verse nine, it says serve him with a perfect heart. And that word, that word is shalem. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than Yashar and Tamim. Now we have Shalem. And Shalem means complete, safe, peaceful, perfect, whole, full, at peace, safe, unharmed, etc. So there's 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 different meaning. Again, you can read them, you know, in, in the faithful version, there's the concordance, that's strongs. Again, it's limited. But it does give us some when we start looking into the meaning of these different words, that they're very, very closely interrelated, but they're not exactly the same. And this, and this word shalem, shalem is very interesting because this is what David is telling his son Solomon. So serve him with a perfect heart. And a lot of the shalem definition, it, ha- it does overlap a lot with tamim, but it's a different word, but it's, it overlaps a lot with it. As far as complete, as well as perfect, whole, full, it says at peace. But this this sense of completeness, of fullness, of perfection, that is very, very interesting because they have a lot of words in common in in their definitions, Tamim and Shalem. Now, Yashar is a little different, but that's where he starts. And it's very interesting because when we read and stop and meditate on this verse, it tells us a lot of the instructions of David to Solomon. And just like the first uh, seven chapters in the in, in the Proverbs that are, that are probably they're very likely words of David to his son Solomon before Solomon. Like then it, it says in, in, in Proverbs 10 that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. It sounds like the whole introduction. It might be from David, but it's really from a father to a son. It's from a father to a son. And here is the same thing. And these are instructions for us because God is also telling us the same thing, how he wants, how he wants us to serve him. Just like David told Solomon, serve him with a perfect heart, a perfect, a complete, an entire, a, a peaceful, a, you know, a full heart. It says, and with a willing mind. And this is interesting when you put that combination of a perfect heart and a willing mind. Because the, the perfect heart means if we take these, these, this word shalem and its literal meaning of complete, whole, full, perfect, that means, that, that means with everything that you have. And it says it with a willing mind is with, with that desire, with that willingness, with that yieldingness. yieldingness. That's, that's what we have to do. When we serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, it says for the Lord searches all hearts. And understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. And this is very interesting because it gives us a lot more, uh, maybe a lot more understanding even of what we just read in Proverbs 28, 10. 
because he talks about the upright, the upright shall be saved and the upright shall be delivered. Because if the, the upright, if these words, you know, have a lot of overlapping meaning, the tamim and the shalem. And, and, and this reminds us, uh, uh, it's, it's so interesting. It reminds us of another verse. We'll go here next in Hebrews. We know that. Hebrews 4.12. We're going to go there next. But let's just finish reading verse 9 here. It says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And we know this is exactly what happened in the end, sadly, for Solomon. But that's what happened. But this verse 9 is so powerful because it, it's what David told Solomon to do. But it's what God the Father is telling us to do as well. And there's a lesson here for us to learn. It says, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart, with a complete heart. And with a willing mind, and it tells us why. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. So first is like the realization of like, there's no thought that can be withheld from God. There's no thought. So in light of that, be forthright, be complete, be sincere, be honest, be have integrity, be integral, be complete. That's why the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of it, all your mind, all of it. Like that's why the word all repeats in that greatest commandment, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. It repeats all, all, all. So there's no doubt that it has to be all. It has to be complete. It has to be sound. It has to be everything. And that's what it says here. Serving with a perfect heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts, all hearts, not just those who are called. He searches all hearts. He cares about everyone. Not, he has not called everybody into salvation yet, but he searches all hearts. And he understands all the imagination of the thoughts. And last night in the, in the comments uh, after Judean, we were, we were talking a little bit about that, meditating on how vast is the mind of God, that he knows every human being, and he knows all the hearts and all the imagination of the thoughts, of all the thoughts. And then he gets us to the next thing. If you seek him, he will be found by you. It's an amazing thing because it's a relationship. And we know the word relationship is actually not in the Bible. But it says here, if you seek him, he will be found by you. And that's what he means. And he does say, even though it doesn't say relationship, he does say that, that Enoch walked with God. Abraham, like many other, like all the people of God, they walk with God. Specifically of Enoch, it mentions and Noah and, and others. It says that they walk with God. That means they saw that they were seeking him. They sought him. It says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And, and in this forsaking him, a part of it may be if we don't have, if we don't serve him with a perfect heart. If we don't serve it for the perfect heart, which starts to answer the next question. But let's go to Hebrews 4. And uh, we know we're, we're all familiar with this with this verse. But let's just uh, compare it in, with what we just read. Because it's very similar. It's very similar. Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the dividing asunder of both soul and spirit, basically of everything we are, we're soul, we're, 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 we have this physical existence, we're soul. Soul is not a, a, a just whatever, uh, an abstract con uh, concept, it's not, uh, that's, that's not what soul is. Soul is our body as we understand it. But, but it says soul and spirit, and spirit means air, and that means not only the air that we breathe, but also the spirit of man, the spirit of man that God has given us, and also the spirit of God within us. It, it divides asunder for everything, soul and spirit, everything that we are. And it says, and of both the joints and the marrow, and is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the whole bone, the, the whole joints and marrow meaning to the hardest parts to get to in a human being are the bone, the, 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 the joints and the marrow, right? The, 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 the very center of the bones. It's not just the blood. It's not just the flesh. It's not just the bones. It's the inside of the bones, like the joints and the marrow. And he's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's not just about doing. 
It's about what our intention is when we do those things. And that's very, very important because that has a lot to do with this difference between, be, between Yashar and Tamim, between doing what's right or, or being upright or with doing what's right or having a perfect heart that is what David instructed Solomon to serve him with. He wanted to, him to serve him with a complete heart. And this, it, it tells us, and, and, then, and, and then it tells us in verse 13 here, it says, and there is not a created thing that is not manifesting his sight. Meaning, same thing. That's exactly what David understood. And he told Solomon that. He said, you can't hide anything from God. So you might as well give yourself completely to him. Completely. That there is no, like, no thought is going to be withheld from him. But rather than him finding out some other way, why don't you just bring it all? Bring your whole heart to God in everything that you do. Be sincere. Be transparent. Acknowledge your faults. That's what, that's what David did in Psalm 51. We're not going to read it. We read it last night. But that's exactly what it is. That's exactly why David was a man after God's own heart, despite having committed adultery and murder. Because he had a whole heart. He was wholehearted. Because he says, there's not a created thing that is not manifesting his sight, but all things are naked and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And we know that. And we understand that. So this is an exhortation to all of us to serve God with a perfect heart. Just like David instructed Solomon. And that's for us to also know. Now let's go to 1 Kings to see. We, we, we know what happened. We know what happened to to Solomon later on and we're gonna uh we're gonna read about it in a minute but but at the beginning at the beginning when Solomon was starting his reign he also understood that to what level we don't know to what level he understood it and what what level he did at the beginning we don't really know because only God knows the heart this is what we were talking about he understands the thoughts of the heart but in first Kings 8 in verse 55 Solomon understood these things, even if it was at a surface level, but he understood it because he charged the people through all these things. And first Kings 8 is, is, is the whole prayer, right, of the dedication of the temple and, and asking God to hear the people of Israel if they come to that house, etc. We know that. You can read that. It's an amazing prayer. But then what happened is, what did Solomon tell the people? In verse 55, it says, then he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. He was being wholehearted here. At least it looks that way. There has not failed one word of all his good promises, which he promised by the hand of Moses' his servant. Because this was the pinnacle. This was the pinnacle of, of, of any kingdom, really, on the face of the earth. When Solomon rose to power and when God uh, allowed the temple to be built, when it was dedicated and when the people and the prosperity that, that God gave to Solomon, it was the pinnacle of any human kingdom ever. It was the best of everything. And he was full. His heart was full of, 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 these, of this knowledge and this wisdom that God had given him. And then it says, may the Lord our God be with us as, as he was with our fathers. Because he knows that, that that was that was the key. It was God who brought the blessings. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. He understood that. It, and, and he understood for what? He says, verse 58, to incline our hearts to himself. He understood. He took that advice from David. He said, to incline our hearts, it includes his own heart, to himself, to walk in all his ways. And to keep all his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And this is, uh, as we understand that this is a portion of Joshar. This is righteousness. All his commandments, all his statutes, all his judgments, all his ways are righteousness. And to incline our hearts to do that. That's what he was telling the people. And that, that is also what God is telling us to do. To incline our hearts to himself. To walk in all of his commandments and statutes and judgments. And then Solomon says something very interesting, verse 59, and let these my words with which I have made supplications before the Lord 
be near the Lord our God day and night. So he did a wonderful prayer. He said a wonderful prayer. He asked God for wonderful things. Mm -hmm. He was sincere because God had given him that wisdom and the desire of God is that Solomon would also serve him with a perfect heart, just like his father David. And then Solomon in turn, this is what he instructs the people. He says, let all these hearts be near the Lord our God day and night so that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter requires, knowing that the matters were going to be different and it was going to require different, different outcomes and different uh, methods and different things because that's wisdom. It's not, it's not uh, the wisdom from God is manifold. It's, it's magnificent. And, it's a, and, and, and he understood the purpose of the nation of Israel. Verse 60, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. And our purpose, brethren, our purpose is the exact same. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God now and in the millennium, in God's kingdom. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God. But we have to do what it says here, that we incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways and to keep all his commandments, to incline our hearts, to serve him with all the heart. And that's what exactly what he tells them to do in verse 61. And let your heart be perfect. Solomon to the people, let your heart be perfect with the Lord our God. And that is Shalem again. The same thing that David told Solomon, Solomon tells the people. And he says, let your heart be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. But there's a key. It's not just Yashar. It's not to keep the commandments. It's let your heart be perfect with the Lord. And that's a different thing. That's a deeper thing. That's true conversion. That's integrity and in everything. That is a complete, complete heart. Sometimes we think about a perfect and, and the definition of perfection that we have in this world is, is probably very, very skewed from what the true definition is. Because sometimes, especially in our upbringing, perfection is defined as never having, having had a flaw. But if that, is, if that was the true definition of perfection, then we, we're all going to fail. And, and we cannot actually obey some of the commandments of God. We're going to see in a, in a few minutes. Because if that's perfection, there's not, righteous, there's not a righteous one, not even one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We have all made mistakes and continue to do so. So why does he talk about perfection? What does he talk about a perfect heart? What does he talk about this uprightness that in, in, implies completeness? Because it's not the same definition of perfection of never from now on. If you're going to be perfect from now on, never going to make a mistake. Because we're going to see something that is very, very interesting. Now, uh, uh, after we see that what was the, the fate of Solomon here in First Kings, Let's go to chapter 11, just three chapters ahead. We're going to read, and we know this, we know what happened with Solomon, but we're just going to read a few verses about it. Because as good as he started and as good as instruction as David gave to him and as good as instruction that he gave to the people, he did not continue in it. He did not continue in that. And this is what, what happened in verse 1, 1 Kings 11. And King Solomon loved many foreign women, which it, it, it says in Deuteronomy not to do. Deuteronomy 17, he says, shall not multiply wives for himself. You shall not gather wives right from the people of these lands because they will turn your heart away from God. And that's exactly what happened. Because, because this righteousness, the commandments of God that are righteousness, it's, it, God wants us to be righteous, to do what's righteous. But he also wants us to do it with a perfect heart. It says he loved many foreign women. So he went against the word of God, even the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. Of the nations which the Lord had said to the children of Israel. He, this is a true testimony. 
He says, you shall not go into them and they shall not go into you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, which is what we read in Proverbs 28. They, it says the one that, that causes that. So they probably fell into their own pit because that's a law. But that's what happened. That's what happened. They shall turn away your heart after their God. Was Solomon righteous? Yes, the beginning. But he went astray. He went astray. It says, but the upright shall be saved. So was he upright? It's, it looks like at the beginning, only God knows. It's not for us to judge. We're not here to judge Solomon or anybody else and to determine his ultimate fate. We're just reading what the word of God says. That's all we can do and take heed to ourselves. But, but, it does, but, but it does say what happened that they turned their heart after their gods. Because that's what it says. Because, and it reiterates what, what God had said, you shall not go into them, but they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. And one, one can argue whether this was true love or not, whether it was a, this was just lust or something else. But he says that he clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart because the word of God cannot be broken. Because when God says something and he gives a commandment, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. If, if, if we break that commandment, we will be broken as well. We will fall into the pit. We will fall into our own trap like we read. That's what's going to happen. And then it says, for it came to pass when Solomon was old, verse 4, his wife turned away his heart after other gods. Third time he says it, right? It says that it, it, it turned it turn his heart, turned his heart, turned his heart. After we read what the instruction was, from David to Solomon, and after we read what Solomon told the people, but his wife turned away his heart after other gods. And this is very interesting. And it says, and his heart was not perfect. Yashar. No, no, um, this is Shalem. This is actually Shalem. And his heart, he, his heart was not perfect. Was not perfect. Shalem. With the Lord, his God. And he tells us the contrast. As was the heart of David, his father. It was not. Now, at that point, it was not. We don't know if it ever was or not. But at least he understood what was to be done. He did understand that. Because he received that instruction. And he gave that instruction. And he knew that's how he was to seek God. And he had seen the example of his father, David. But here now, his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not go fully, keyword, fully after the Lord like his father David. This has to do, that's why it matches up perfectly with the definition of what we saw complete entire wholesome did not go fully after the lord like his father david his father david did that's why he was a man after god's own heart because he went fully after the lord even with his faults even with the worst of his wretchedness he brought it before god he repented from the heart he repented from everything constantly and god forgave him and god forgave him and he cared more about God than anyone else and than anything else. He was always putting God first. He was always consulting God. He was always drawing near God. He was always meditating the word because he was his whole heart. It was everything that he is. And this is amazing because it, 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 it starts unraveling the mystery. And, and we're going we're gonna to see this, but it just... When we stop and read this again, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord again, Yashar did not happen. Now he did, was not righteous. He did evil that now you're not doing. You're away from righteousness. But it says, and did not go fully after the Lord like his father David. So it's two things. One thing is this evil in the sight of the Lord. It says, and did not go fully. Because maybe if he had gone fully, 
after uh, after the Lord, like his father David, maybe he would have ended up doing what's right, doing righteousness, doing God, what God desires, his commandments, his judgments, everything that he actually said and instructed the people to do. And he was set to do that. But he probably did not do what the kings were to do, which make a copy of that law. As he says in Deuteronomy to do for the kings to read it all the days of his life so that his heart would not ele be elevated above his, 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 his brethren. Because that was a command. And if he would have read that, he would have read that you shall not multiply wives for yourself. You shall not multiply horses, which he also did. Maybe God would have established his kingdom forever, not tear it apart like he had to do. But apart from the physical blessings and the physical things, it's just an example and a lesson for us to go fully after the Lord like our, like our father David, if we want to say it that way. Or like the future king of Israel, David, because he will be the future king of all Israel. We have to go fully. We have to follow that example and not just understand it and say it like Solomon did. But do it because that's a matter of the heart. That's something that nobody can see except for God. But it says it here as a testimony that Solomon did not go fully after the Lord like his father David. And that tells you that it's more, more than only the righteous acts. But it's what's behind. It's the heart. It's with what intention. That's why, that's why he instructed me. He said, that's why David said, follow the Lord your God. Because he knows everything that you do. He knows the intents of your heart and all of the intents. And not only of yours, of all the hearts of all the people. He knew that. And that was amazing. Let's go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 25. Because these things start to answer a question. That a, a question here that is posed in Second Chronicles 25. This is about Amaziah, and this is what it says in verse 1. It says, Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. He was king of Judah, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And listen to verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Not with a perfect heart. How can somebody do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart? What is the difference? Is it possible to have to have this thing, to have righteousness, to have yashar without having tamim? Is it possible to do the right things, but not with a perfect heart, not with a whole, complete, entire sound heart? The answer is yes. Evidently, that's the, that's what it says here that Amaziah did. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And that is what we have to take heed that we understand that we understand that our heart is deceitful above all things. We could above all things. Jeremiah 17. We're not going to go there, but we know that scripture. is wicked. Our heart is wicked and deceitful, is evil. It's, that's the nature that we have. But we still have to be wholehearted towards God and bring that so that he can cleanse us from all of that. Because we can, and many times, we have done that. I think at one point we have done that many times, many of us. And sometimes we continue to do it, but, but we are striving to have that perfect heart towards God. We're striving to give him everything because it's not within our nature to do that. Our nature is... Is to, to, to cover, to, to do those things. Like that's what happened from Adam and Eve. That's the very first thing they did. They hid from God. And so do we. Because being honest with ourselves, sometimes when we sin, we don't want to pray. We feel like we don't want to pray. We feel ashamed. But that's exactly what we need to do. We need to bring that to God and repent sincerely from the bottom of our heart. Have no secrets with God. Have that perfect heart because it means complete with integrity, with wholesomeness. That is something that, that God desires. God always desires that. That's what he, he wants from us. Because basically in here it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says, Yashar, 
but not with a perfect heart, not shalem. Like, like David instructed Solomon, Solomon instructed the people. Now, how can we have that perfect heart? How can we have that perfect heart? How can we do it? Because it's not within ourselves. Our nature is not that way. It's desperately wicked. Our heart is desperately wicked. That's what the word of God says. And we, and we better believe it. Because if we believe that our heart is good or that we are being perfect all the time, we're, we're probably deceiving ourselves. We have to take heed. Because it happens to us. And how many times in the church we've done this? We've done what's right. We've kept the Sabbath. We've kept the holidays. We've tithed. We've done all these things. But has our heart been perfect toward God? Has it been complete? Has it been wholly given to God in everything? Because it's every thought in every arena of life. Is our love constantly on God? Are we walking with him at that level? And maybe we're not all the time. But we're in that way and we have to look to that. We have to look to that. So how can we have a perfect heart? Let's let's do a little bit of a study right now in the in, in the remainder of this message of of this word, this word tamim, this word for the upright, tamim, which is which goes together with the word shalem, this perfect, these these two words that get translated as perfect almost indistinctively because the meaning is very, very close in whole, complete. Fool. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. This is this is part of understanding this perfection, this completeness, this soundness, this integrity. It starts with God. Deuteronomy 32. This is the the the, the song that, that God uh, told Moses to write, that he would be a witness to the to the people of Israel when they would sin against him. And it says here in verse four, he is the rock. Talk about God. Talk about Jesus Christ, the one, the one who became Jesus Christ. He is the rock. His work is perfect. His work is tamim. His work is complete. He's full. He's wholesome. His work is perfect for all his ways are just. All his ways are just it says a god of faithfulness and without iniquity just and upright is he now it's interesting because this one upright is is from the word yashar but his work is perfect his work is to mean his work is full complete wholesome he is the rock he is our example he is the model of that completeness because he poured out his heart before God. He poured out his heart for us too. All his blood was shed for us. And his work is perfect in everything that he said, in everything that he did, and in everything that he's doing, past, present, and future. He says he is the rock. His work is perfect. Perfect. He is Tamim. He is the, the, the fullness. The fullness of Tamim, of complete, of sincere, of perfect. Let's go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. That's why the very first step is to draw near God. Just like we read that David instructed Solomon, search for him. Seek him with your whole heart. Seek him with Yashar, uh, with a perfect heart, with a complete heart, with everything that everything within you, with all your being. And now we're starting to understand how a lot of these psalms came about, right? How David said, oh, Lord, I love you with my whole heart. I will sing praise with my, my entire being. Let everything within me praise you. Why? Because he was wholehearted towards God. Because that's the true love that God, that the rock and God our Father both have for each and every one of us. And they can see all the hearts of all the people and all the intents of every thought. Let's see what else is to mean. Psalm 19, verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is to mean perfect, complete, wholesome. It's, it's, it's sound. It's the integrity. It's everything. It's perfect. And, and, and it's perfect. And he says what he does. Restoring 
the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's what it is. The law of the Lord is perfect, is tamim, is complete, is everything. And don't let anybody tell you that the works of the law are, are, are you know, all these things of, you know, you trying to earn your own salvation and it's just doing your own thing and just, no, those are not the works of the law. The works of the law are these. It says the law of the Lord restores the soul. That's the works of the law. That's what it is. When he says the works of the law. Now, works of law is something different. Without that article, we know that. But the works of the law, which is only one place in the Bible, it does talk about the works of the, works of the law reflected in the heart of those who maybe are not being called yet. But these are the works of the law. Because that law is perfect, it's tamim, it's complete, it's wholesome. And that goes together with that perfect heart. We have to approach God with that perfect heart. And then we have to come to him understanding all his laws, his precepts, his commandments, because that is perfection. That is perfect because it restores the soul, our body. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple gives us wisdom. These are the true works of the law. The true works of the law that is perfect. The law is perfect. And these are all the things that it does. It restores the soul. It makes wise and simple. It, it says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. These are the things that, that, that God wants for us. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to make you wise. He wants to rejoice your heart. He wants to enlighten your eyes. He wants to do all of that with you today. And every day, if we seek him with our whole heart, then he will be found by us. It was not just for Solomon. It was not just for David. It's for you and me today. And we have evidence of that, that this is what God wants. When he talks about perfect, when he talks about tamim, it's complete, it's whole, it's, it's, it's sound, it's with integrity. Let's go to Genesis 17. To see evidence of these words to me once again. And to see amazing things about this completeness. This perfect heart that goes to, this to me goes in, in line with Shalem. Because Shalem seems to be more of like the application of this. But this perfection that is God. That is, that is what he wants for us. His perfect law. His perfect love in our hearts. But he needs all of our hearts. He wants, just like we read, with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. And we'll see everything. Everything connects. But in Genesis 17, that was the instruction. That was the instruction from God to Abraham. He says, verse 1, Genesis 17, And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be Perfect, tamim. Tamim. How is he going to be perfect? Because this, this model concept of perfection in this world that you're never going to make a mistake is flawed. It just frustrates us. That's not what he means. He means perfect. He means complete. He means whole, entire, sound. And that's his work. We will be perfect in that sense at the resurrection. But this side of the resurrection, we're still in that process of perfection. We're still in that process of completion. That's what it means. That's why tamim means complete, whole, sound. But this is, it, it tells him how. Walk before me and be perfect. Walk before me. And he knew the commandments of God. He knew that those were righteousness because it says that Abraham kept his charge, his commandments, his judgments, and that he was going to teach his children. That's what we are to do as well. We have the responsibility to teach our children every day. But what it says, it says, walk before me and be perfect. That's the commandment that God gave to Abraham. It's amazing. Let's go to Psalm 101. Psalm 101, because we're, we're studying how, how, can we, how can we be perfect? How can we attain to this perfection, but in, in the true sense of the word, how God wrote it? That means complete, full, wholesome, with integrity. 
Psalm 101 in verse 1, it says, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praise. Verse 2, I will behave myself wisely in a blameless way. Oh, when will you come unto me? He understood that without him coming to him, he would not have this perfect heart because he acknowledged it here. I will walk within my heart with a perfect heart. When you come unto me, when you come unto me and read John 14 and 15, and that's exactly what God wants. He wants to dwell in us. He made us to dwell in us. God the Father and Jesus Christ. And that's what he says. I will behave myself wifely in a blatantless way. Oh, when will you come unto me? Because I know that if you don't come unto me, if I don't give my whole heart, if I don't give my whole self in everything, in every thought, I will not walk within my heart with a perfect heart. I'm just striving. I'm doing it. And sadly, there's people that do it just out of convenience, out of gaining something. And that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to come to him just so that he does what we ask him to do. We come to God because we love him. We come to God because he, we came from him, because we are expressions of his love, every single one of us. But he, David understood that, that he was going to walk within his house when God would come unto him. That's when he was going to have that perfect heart. Let's go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We're going to read just a few, a few scriptures here in the New Testament because this whole concept carries on throughout the New Testament. And there's many other scriptures. We're just going to read a few right now and finishing up and rounding this thing because it's, it's the completeness, it's the soundness of the heart. That's what answers that, those questions. How can somebody... Do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. How can someone who is righteous go astray in an evil way? What is the difference between the righteous and the upright? All of these questions are answered when we start digging a little bit more into these words. Because God wants to mean he wants integrity within your heart. He wants all of you. That's read the first and greatest commandment. All, 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 all in everything. Matthew 5, 48. This is therefore. After, after the whole first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, you shall be perfect. And now here is teleos. Teleos is the a, is a word in, in, in Greek, which again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's the same word, teleos, all over the place, all over in the New Testament. But it's translated perfect. And you, you shall be perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. And it's not a perfect like, you shall be perfect. You're never going to make one mistake at all ever again in the rest of your life. That's not what he means. That's impossible. We know that. The apostle John clarifies that when he says, you know, if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. But you do not practice sin, which is different. That's part of that perfection is bringing your whole self to God. Entire, complete, wholesome. With no reservations. That's what God wants. That's how he wants us to serve him. Therefore, you shall be perfect. And if, if, if you want to study a little bit more what he was saying, he says, you know, even in verse 47, and if you salute your brethren only, what have you done that is extraordinary? Do not the tax collectors practice the same thing? If you're doing the things because it's convenient for you, because it brings you benefit, that's not what God desires. You have to love everyone. You have to love your enemies even. That's perfection because it's as your whole heart. And you love your enemies because you know that they're also children of God. Maybe not begotten yet, but they're also children of God. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew 19. Matthew 19, there's a, there's a story here, very, very interesting. In the verse, Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, Now at that time one came to him and said, Good master, what thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except one, God. And we understand what that means. We understand. That he was referring, you know, about God the Father. And he, yes, he was God in flesh as well. But he had the law of sin and death within him. And he knew he was susceptible to sin. He never did. He never sinned. But he was susceptible to that. Because he inherited 
the human nature. It says so. So after he clarifies that, he says, "But if you decide to enter into life, keep the commandments." Yashar, Yashar, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, "Which?" And Jesus said, "You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself." Okay, so he mentions the ones that don't talk about this relationship with God, the ones that don't talk about this perfect heart, the ones that are about the, the, the other people and the external things, right? That's what all of these are. He doesn't mention, you shall have no other gods before me, don't take my name in vain, give yourself a holy. He didn't, he didn't mention those. Why? Because then he's going to talk to him about it, but he's going to show the, the the stopping points is for some people and specifically for this person. The young man, he says, the young man said to him, verse 20, I have kept all these things from my youth. What do I yet lack? What am I missing? I've kept all of these commandments. The ones that you mentioned, Jesus said to him, if you desire to be perfect, that's a different thing. Perfection is a different thing. It includes the commandments. It includes Shashar. But perfection is deeper. If you decide to be perfect, to be perfected, go and sell your property and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And it's not, it's not because of the poor's sake. It's because of that person's sake. Because if there's something that precludes us from that perfection, in this case, this man's riches, then God cannot work with us to the level that he wants to. He cannot perfect us right now. In that sense, it's in the measure that we give ourselves and everything that we are and everything that we think to God. Because says, you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But after hearing these words, the young man went away grieving because he had many positions. And this is just an example of how the perfection doesn't come unless we give our whole self to God, everything that we are, everything that we desire, complete, wholesome, entirety, with integrity, Ephesians 4, because this is the goal. I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures about the end goal. This is the ultimate goal. This is exactly what God wants. Ephesians 4.13, the ultimate goal is until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, teleos, unto a perfect man. Unto a perfect man. And to that shalem, shalem, which is also means peaceful. It includes everything because when God perfects us, he gives us peace. We have complete peace when we give our whole self to God, our heart, our mind, our thoughts, 24-7, when we're walking before him like he instructed Abraham to do. That's exactly what he wants. That's the goal. Until we come to a perfect man, and the perfect man already was modeled for us. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is exactly what God wants. God wants us to have that perfect heart. That is exactly what God wants to do with us. That is, that is the purpose. That, and, and, but it's a process. It takes time. It takes time. And it's not, it's not an overnight thing. In Colossians 1, this is last last scripture. In Colossians 1, verse, verse 27. And you can read the whole chapter because I'm, I'm picking up just a couple of verses for the sake of time. But what it says here is talking about, is really talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about what he has given to us in his word. He says, to whom God did will to make known. This is to his saints, verse 26, right? It has been revealed to his saints. Let's read verse 26. Even the mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations but has now been revealed to his saints. What is this mystery? It's a conversion process. That's what God wants. And to his saints, he has revealed to whom God did will to make known. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles or nations, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. If we have a perfect heart, a willing mind, if we're serving him that way. It says, in, it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Here's the ultimate goal, so that we may present every man perfect, complete, wholesome, shalem, with that perfect heart, perfect in Christ Jesus. So I exhort all of us, brethren, to ask God that he would give us that perfect heart, that he would show us what that really means and how to do it, because it is a process that lasts the rest of our lives. But if we serve him with all our heart, if we seek him with all our heart and with a willing mind, he will be found by us.